We recognize a couple of Justin Heather here. They just stepped out. We've got a, a couple of uh, newly married folks as of week four last. So uh, Justin and Heather, I guess they're going to come in in a minute. Okay, we'll just. Okay, there you are. Okay, what happened to Justin? Okay, okay, there he is. Let's let's give it up for he came back. Yes. Bro, you scared me there for a minute. I mentioned, you know, the wedding. And I was like, where is he? You know, he's, he's gone. But he is back. Uh, so, man, it's, it's so good to... And I just got to say, too, man, guys, I royally goofed up on that wedding. I, it, was, it was after the wedding. And those of y'all who were there, you already laughed. This is kind of what went down. Um, you know, they got him, got him hitched and got the knot tied real, real tight. And then as people are, are, are receding, you know, they're, they're going back. And I say, and the family would like to invite you to the recessional. And not everybody had even been recessed yet. So it was one of those awkward situations. People were like, I don't know. I, I don't know. So it was great. But so, sorry about that. But man, it was great to have you guys on board. And two, um, I just want, for, for our married people, let, let, let's be biblical and, and, and just put, do as much, as much encouragement as you can. And here's the thing. If you have been, now this is always awkward. I've known some single people and they like to give marriage advice. That's just weird. You know what I'm saying? That's like somebody who's never been into a fight. Like, all right, bro, I'm going to teach you self-defense 101, 201, and 301 right now. You know, it's just, it's strange. But if, you've, if you're married or, or if you're here and you're a widow or a widower, please, um, I think this is biblical to pour your experience into uh, young families. Give any advice, um, any cautions. Like one man I heard said that a great rule for men to know uh, in marriage is, I was wrong. You're beautiful. I'm sorry. And did you, did I mention I was wrong? You know what I'm saying? You know, there's, there's those things that you can pass down to help those marriages. So man, we're so glad that you guys are married and uh, you're a part of us. So let's uh, go to Luke chapter one. And we're going to look at something this morning that this will probably be in most of your Bibles. It'll say something like this in Luke chapter one, beginning in verse 46. Mary's song of praise, the Magnificat. And this is from the Latin translation, and that word means to, to magnify. So let me just go ahead and, and set the stage here for what we're going to do this morning. If you want to go back to verse 39, this is where our narrative picks up. Now last week we looked at Joseph, we looked at marks of a real man, about how Joseph was willing to, to, to not expose Mary for being pregnant from what he thought was probably not God. All right, he, you know, there wasn't the concept of the virgin birth, especially not her, not then. But he was willing to stay with her. And then God came to Joseph and said, look, she hasn't cheated on you. She's with child because I have given, I have planted, I have put in her womb supernaturally without coming together with a man, the Son of God. So here, after all of that happened in verse 39, the Bible says, in those days, Mary arose and went with haste. All right? That means she is clipping along into the hill country. All right? So she's, she's going to Rocky Mount just in Israel. So to a town in Judah, in verse 40, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is going to be the mother of John the Baptist. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, this is kind of cool, all right? She got acrobatics here about to happen, prenatal. The baby, what's it say, church? Leaped 
in her womb. So this is John the Baptist having a charismatic experience before he was even born. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, she's saying this to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, referring to Jesus. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my, notice capital L, the mother of my Lord, should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary, this is like, this may be a good example. Guys, guy friends, totally above the board, like dude on dude, straight up man friendship, right? Like I punch you in the face, you punch me in the face, we love each other. Guys, when they haven't seen each other for a while, and they've got that that bond, it's usually like, hey man, how you doing? Ladies who love one another, who haven't seen each other for a long time, they come together, and we guys, we don't even know what you ladies are saying. There's like shrieks and howls, and ah! You know, that type of thing, and they begin to hug each other, and they, you know, do this type of thing, and then they, you, some of y'all, you do this to fan your face, to cool yourself down, and, and, and this is what's going on. Mary's like, man, alright, first of all, God chose me to bear His Son. Second, that's awkward when you tell people, I'm not married yet, but God did this. I'm pregnant. That's kind of a hard line to sell, wouldn't you say? But then she's excited, like, man, I'm willing to to take that risk for God and and be obedient. And then the news is broken to her husband. Joseph is like, man, I'm going to have to call this off. Can't go through with it. But God sends an angel to Joseph, and Joseph's like, remember, what did he not do? He didn't run his yapper. He simply, what guys? He just did. He just did. And he took her as his wife anyway, but he did not know her in an intimate way until after she had given birth to Jesus. So it's like all of this news. Number one, God has come to me. He's chosen me. I could have been rejected by my husband, but God showed up to him and he actually received me with open arms. And so I got to tell somebody. So she's having a little flip out time. She goes to Elizabeth. Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. So it is like an exciting time. And that's where we come to our text today. And it's called the Magnificat. It is Mary's song of praise to God. And I want to just go with this. Let's let this be our driving thought today. That God, amen church, God is worthy of everything that we can give Him. Amen? He is worthy of everything. And I want to just be, be, be upfront with this. Many people here, I am sure, you've gone through ups and downs in your life. Sometimes life seems like, uh, I love to drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway. Can I get an amen for that? We got any fans of the Blue Ridge Parkway in the house? I mean, man, it is just beautiful. And you, you're driving, sometimes you're driving, you look off to your right and you see this magnificent valley and you see that the sun is shining and, and you're on the road and it's so clear and it's so crisp. And you've got, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, John Denver Mountain Roads Take Me Home or something playing on the radio or, or bluegrass. If, if you have 
that inclination or heavy metal or whatever it is, you know, I don't know how well that would work, Blue Ridge Parkway, you know, head banging down the road, but, you know, you're, you're just listening to your tunes and you drive down the road and, and then, then all of a sudden it's kind of like life. Life is that way sometimes, isn't it? Right? Life is good. Is life good sometimes? Yeah, hopefully so. But then sometimes it's like those clouds come up all of a sudden, man, and the sky turns black and cold and it begins to rain and it doesn't just rain, it it's, it's a frog choker, as they called it in Texas. It rains so, so, so hard and so much, it'd choke a bullfrog, and, and then it begins to, to, to hail. And then it's like almost, you know, like the Jesus and, and the disciples. Remember when they were going across Galilee on that boat? They were just going across the, the, the lake, that, that sea there, and, and all of a sudden that storm came from out of nowhere, and the disciples went from like, man, we're getting a boat ride with Jesus, right? Like me and Jesus time, we're rocking on the boat, and then the next thing, they're thinking they're gonna die. Like, like, and these are, these are not sissy guys, right? You've, you've got, you've got, Anyway, we've gone through it. Just in a nutshell, you've got Simon Peter who carries a knife and shanked a guy later in the gospel story. You've got um, a guy who would uh, who was like a tax cheat. You've got James and and John, and and remember they called Jesus when the one town rejected Jesus. They were called sons of thunder because they'd get so worked up, and they said, "Why don't you just call lightning down on them?" And Jesus is like, "Man, you know that's not the right thing to do." You've got a group of manly guys, and they're there in a boat thinking that they're going to die. You know, I think that life is like that sometimes, isn't it? It goes from perfect day to an absolute fallout in what seems to be overnight. But I believe in this text, what we see here with Mary is her journey back through these words of where she was and what God had brought her to. And wherever you are in your life, if you're coming out of the valley, if you're on the mountaintop, or if you're getting ready, I don't know. How many of y'all like roller coasters? Any roller coaster fans? Okay. All right. How many of you hate roller coasters? All right. Like they're of the devil. All right. Okay. More hands like, yeah. Um, I think it's kind of like life can be compared to, and this is so amazing what we're going to look at with Mary. Like those of you who have been on a roller coaster and just for the confession, I love them. And I love them not so much to ride them, but to watch the people getting off. Have you ever seen that? You don't need entertainment when you've been to a theme park, especially if folks are from another country and you get off and this is their first time and you look over and begin to shake and to tremble and act like you're going into a seizure and you see them jet out of that line. That's fun. It's wrong. It's sin. You must repent of it. But boy, it's your fun. Yes, it is a self-confession. But it's kind of like when you get on that roller coaster and you're going up to take the plunge. You remember how that was and you hear that sound? Clink, 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 clink. And you kind of kind of rock back every time you, you get up one more little level. And then if you're whether you're in the front or whether you're in the back, and sometimes the back is not a good place to be if you've got somebody in the front who's not got a strong stomach. Can I get a witness in the house today? And you're coming, man, all you see is the sky or you see, you know, an astronaut out there because you're so high. And then all of a sudden, man, the bottom straight up falls out and you are on a ride. Let me just be honest. 
The Bible through and through illustrates the same theme that we are in a ride. We are in a journey. The Bible, in fact, so often refers to Israel. Please don't miss this as sojourners. What's the difference between a homesteader and a sojourner? A homesteader is one who plants their life there on that piece of earth, and they're there no matter what, they're going to stay. A sojourner is a person who is on their way perpetually. But I praise God that in our journey in life, it's not going to continue to go and go and go and go with no destination. I praise God that there is a destination for the believer. Amen, church? And it is a place called heaven and Jesus will be there. There will be no more black days. There will be no more heartache. There's going to be no more doctor. There's going to be no more dentist where he's got to stick a syringe into your gum. Amen. It's going to be perfect bliss forever and ever. But between now and then, let's learn a few lessons um, about Mary. And let's say one more thing by way of introduction. This message is not going to be so much application as it is simply a description of the greatness of God. Because in, in, when you're, you're taught preaching, one of the things that they tell you to do is try to make application. For example, um, Joshua, right? In the battle of Jericho. Joshua, God gave Joshua victory. So how can God make the bridge of application? How can God give you victory in your life? But I believe that the application today comes from the simple declaration of how awesome God is. So let's begin there in verse number 46. And after all of this, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, the background right here, if you want to make a note in your, on your, whatever you take notes on, if you, and by the way, we have some younger people with smartphones, so those of you who are not into the smartphone technology, um, we've got people who have uh, the Bible on their phone and they take notes that way, so please don't think that they're texting, and uh, if you are texting during the sermon, then God will uh, deal with you in His way. Um, so, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. We're not going to walk through those verses, but what it is, is it's the song of a lady named Hannah. This was the mother of Samuel. And she was the one, right, who wanted children but couldn't have any. Her husband, Elkanah, um, we don't know whether that's because he hunted elk, but his name was Elkanah. Some of you will get that later. Um, he actually married another woman named Peninnah. And this wife, imagine that, ladies, you have to share a man between you and another woman. How well would that work? Probably not very good. And that probably says something about the level of intelligence of the man. Amen? Guys, that would be, that would be, that would be bad. All right. Especially American context. But she's there having to share her husband with another woman. The other woman has children and actually makes fun of Hannah that she can't. And so finally Hannah prays and she says, God, please give me a son. And he gives her a son, Samuel, who would be one of the greatest leaders in all of Israel. And her heart is just bursting with joy. And you can go read it later. First Samuel chapter two, verses one through 10. And it just pours forth her thankfulness for God. That's the background of this. And notice there in verse 48, this is our, our first aspect. And these are, <clears throat> these are packed with meaning. In verse 48, here's what the text says. For he has looked on his on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Here's what the Bible is saying, is that God intricately knows my situation. 
that He knows everything that I have been through. That means that, here's a question for our thinkers. What does it mean when we say God loves us unconditionally? What type of knowledge do you have to have in order to truly love someone without condition? You have to have total knowledge, don't you? Because you have to concede the point that if God does not have total knowledge of us and He does not know everything that's going on inside our heart, everywhere that we have been, everything that has been done to us, everything that we have done to others, if God does not know that, then there is the chance that God could uncover some fact about you and I one day that would cause Him to say, you know what, I loved them, but I uncovered this and I can't believe that they actually went there. I no longer love them. But here's the amazing fact of the Gospel. No, no, Notice verse 48, when it says he looked on the humble estate of his servant, it means that God gazed intently. In fact, the Greek word here means to look attentively at with the implication of personal concern for someone. It means that God with Superman x-ray vision looked into the life of Mary and he knew her situation. If you're taking notes, Luke chapter 9, verses 38 through 43, there's a man who had a son. It was his only child. And this guy was, this kid was actually demon possessed. He says in verse 38, and behold, a man from the crowd cried out, teacher, I beg you, look at, it's the same word, look at my son, for he is my only child. He wasn't just saying, look at my son, like that kid's got issues. He wasn't saying just look at my son. He's got brown hair and blue eyes. He wasn't saying just look at him, but he's saying look at him to do something for him. Verse 39, And behold, a spirit seizes him, a demon, and suddenly he cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, this is Luke chapter 9, verse 41, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. You see, friend, God does not just see us. He does not just look at us. He knows everything that we have ever been through. And because of that, you can go to God with confidence. Have you ever met somebody and it's kind of that first person meeting and you're not really sure exactly what you should say? You ever been there? You're not really sure about, well, should, should, I, should, I, should I throw up my brand of humor, right? Some of y'all have senses of humor and, you know, some people try. You ever been around somebody and they want to be funny, but they're just not? You know what I'm saying? Like somebody told them when they were five they were funny, but nobody's ever ever told them that that person was a liar. And they're just trying to throw out humor, man. It's just like lead balloon after lead balloon. And and sometimes when you meet people, you you kind of want to warm up to them, don't you? Right? I mean, you don't just walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, let me tell you every detail in my life." Now, some people do that, and those those are the ones hard to get away from. Amen. But when you when you meet somebody, you warm up to them because you're not sure if they will understand you. Well, when you come to God, He understands. He knows intricately every detail of who we are. When I was in youth ministry, it was so funny to me working with middle school girls. Um, Maybe some of y'all have never had that experience. It's awesome. Because what you would have, someone would come in and they, they would be describing some guy that they liked and they would say something to the effect of, 
after they would tell you how awesome he is and how, you know, good looking or, you know, how he can, you know, do whatever, sing, play a musical instrument, or I can shoot a basketball or, you know, lift a five pound weight. That's pretty big for eighth graders. And, you know, she'd say something like, well, he doesn't even notice me. He doesn't even know that I exist. Can tell some of you, hey, so you know what I'm talking about? And she like thinks that he really doesn't know that she's even in existence at all. You know, they're like in the same Bible study group. And think about it like this. Now, this is so true. The higher we place someone on the pedestal, the less we think that they care about us. The higher we consider a person to be, the less we think that they want anything to do with us. Like if we had a movie star walk in here today, and the movie star walked up to you and said, Hey, how you doing? Good to see you at church. And they sat down. Some of you would be like blown away. Now it'd be a little bit different than maybe your friend or your pastor, or someone else. But I think that's what we do with God. Write this down. Psalm 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is high, for though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. But the haughty, or the arrogant, He knows from afar. What the text is saying in Psalm 138, 6, is that God is unbelievably holy, Totally separate in terms of his creation, not in his interaction with the creation, but God is not wood. All right. It's not it's saying that God is not a pantheistic God to where God is all and all is God, but that God regards the lowly. That means if you have been through things in your life, imagine Mary's life situation for just a moment. She was a woman. I don't really see a lot of heads moving. You know why? Because we have somewhat a vestige of equal rights in America, men and women. Sexism, not cool. In the first century, here is what Jewish men would pray in the synagogue or when they got up in the morning. And I quote, God, I thank you that I am not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. That was the prayer. That was the view of women in first century Palestinian Judaism. She was a woman. Secondly, she was a Jewish woman. Third, she was a Jewish Roman. Please don't miss this. Under Roman military occupation. For us, it would be like Iranian soldiers patrolling the streets. She was under oppression. So when it says that God looked upon her, it meant that he saw her in her need. And I just praise God that no one knows us better than the one who designed us, right? You know, there's nobody who knows how to work an iPod better than Steve Jobs. Apple computers. There's nobody who's going to break apart your M16 better than Eugene Stoner, the guy who created it and other um, guns. There's nobody who's going to be able to fix your 1988 Corvette engine better than the one who designed it. And there is no one who knows your life situation, your disappointments better than Almighty God. He knows everything that has happened and He knows everything that will happen. But as the little kid's song, y'all remember singing that back in Bible school? Um, he's got the whole what in His hands. He's got the whole world in His hands. And since we're in the world, He's got us He's got us too. Notice verse 49 as well. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So what we see here is that God has ultimate power and ultimate knowledge, and they are complementary, not contradictory. Because some people, they pray and they say, you know what, God, it seems like you can do anything. It seems like you do good things for other people. It seems like you've done great things for Mary. It seems like you've done great things for my friends. But God, I'm not trying to be selfish. But God, what about me? It seems like my life is a continual up and down, uh, crash and burn, uh, slash. It seems like I'm bleeding out through my heart. God, what about me? Ever been on a road trip with kids? What do they usually ask after you've been on the road for about maybe, oh, I don't know, a long time frame, like seven and a half minutes? Y'all been there too. Are we there yet? You say, no, we just left Rocky Mount. We're going to the great city of Salem. It's going to be a little bit while longer. Or if you go to Washington, D.C., say, no, baby, we've got several more hours. What do they ask after the next seven, eight minutes? Are we there yet? I went on a ski trip, man, with a youth group several years ago. Some of the guys, some of the, the middle school guys had never been out of the town before. Like, they'd never even been to the beach, which is about like an hour and a half away. Just in-town guys. And they were asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? One of the uh, one of the youth sponsors said, "Bro, we need to we need to get some T-shirts, and on the front of the T-shirt it just says dot 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 no. And just when they ask that, just turn around and point at the shirt. Don't even say anything. Are we there yet? I think that we do the same thing with God. He's just saying no, not yet. But just like, have you ever seen the movie The Longest Day? I love that movie." about the invasion of, of Normandy and D-Day, and there was that uh, one platoon who was put there, and they were given the command, hold until relieved. And Mary was holding until God relieved her. He came and gave her a great blessing. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 89, beginning in verse number 8, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are? O Lord, and with your faithfulness all around you, you rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Verse number 11. The heavens are yours and the earth also is yours and the world and all that is in it. You have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon joyously praise your name with a strong, you have a mighty arm, strong is your hand, right high is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Zephaniah chapter 3 verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And we say, well, Jeff, that's great. But God, I want you to do something. When something goes down, everybody looks for the buff dude, don't they? And people say, God, I'm looking to you. Stephen Furtick said this. When when you ask God to do the impossible, He usually instructs you to do something uncomfortable and inconvenient Salvation is free, but obedience is very costly. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Remember, it says that He uh, looked at the cross, despising the shame. He sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was not wanting to be tortured. He wasn't some sick person who enjoyed pain. But He looked beyond the cross. Are we there yet? Not yet! He said, here's the cross. 
brutal suffering and execution, but after that, there's going to be the joy. After that is the victory. And I just want to encourage you, church, this morning, that from the words of Mary, He who is mighty has done great things for me. God will prevail. Amen? No matter where you are in your life. You ever noticed, um, like with the NBA Finals, the Dallas Mavericks won? I can tell I'm a great fan of Mavs and Mav lovers. So they won. And, and have you ever noticed in the World Series or the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl that sometimes you take these strong athletes and when they win, what do some of the strongest ones of them do? They cry. No one makes fun of an athlete. No one makes fun of a boxer who's just won the world title who cries because what it is is it's the release of everything that has been worked for and it's kind of like that confirmation it was worth it it was worth it this here it's worth it and when it says that he has done great things for me that's not just past tense for us who believe in Christ this child who would be born who lived and who died and who rose again and who's still alive today that's real that's real this is not just poetry. This is not just a joke where we come and we dress a certain way or dress a different way. This is real. He will do great things. But sometimes on the journey, we're not there yet till we can actually see it. In verse 50, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. This says very plainly that God gives mercy to all who fear Him. I say, Jeff, I don't understand. What does fear mean? It means to reverence God with an obedience that basically says reports for duty. It literally means that God is so powerful that He is worthy of our fear and our devotion and our reverence. I guess we'll go ahead and just, just deal with it. In any group that you're in in America today, there are going to be people there who have been abused. Some have been sexually abused. There have been some women in marriage relationships where they have been emotionally abused, not in the sense of being talked down to, in the sense that their husband is emotionally absent. There are men who have been in marriage relationships. Maybe you are in one right now to where your wife takes daily pot shots at your manliness and tries to emasculate you to where you feel like you're not even a man. The Bible says that God's mercy is for those who fear Him. If you have been trodden on by the world, if you have been hurt in ways that are so deep that you cannot come to grips with even being able to express that, God's mercy. Amen, church? God's mercy. His grace is there for you. Notice it's not a 7-Eleven type of mercy. But notice what the text says, verse 50, from generation to generation. I praise God that His preference is mercy. God does not want to give judgment. But if we don't repent, that's the only option. I like it. For those of you who enjoy country music, there's the Alan Jackson song, Forever and Ever, Amen. You ever heard that song? I'm going to love you forever. Talks about her hair falling out and, you know, you grow old and gray and whatever else happens in those stages. But I'm going to love you forever 
And if that's not clear enough, I'm going to love you forever and ever. And if that's not enough, let me just put a little gospel preach in there. Amen. And the country music fans are now justified. You, you know, uh, yes, pastor used the reference. Notice the text is with God's mercy and love. And not, as, not only that, but notice in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. All right, work out people. You've got God demonstrating his absolute transcendent strength. And he has scattered, I love this, he scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down, verse 52, the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Not only does God give mercy to those who come to Him in brokenness, but God takes down the arrogant. He has scattered the proud. It means if you're here today and you think that you're bad, right? Let me talk to the men. Guys, if you think that you don't need God, or when He calls upon us as men to do something, some of you, you need to get saved. You need to get saved. That's it. You get baptized. You need to come down the invitation. Go public with it. And God tells you that. You know that's what He's calling you to do. But you resist Him. Here's your verse. He will bring you down and He will scatter you in the proudness and the arrogance of the thoughts of your heart. Because here's the way that it works. God's mercy is available and God is just brimming, waiting to release it upon us when we come to Him for mercy and grace. But if we resist... God will give us judgment. Notice verse 53. It changes again. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich He has sent away empty. This is saying that God picks up the broken. In 1 Corinthians, this is a great text to write down if you're ever going through a difficult time. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. And Paul writes, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. You ever been there? In a math class or a reading class or get a test result and be like, man, I don't know if I'm the sharpest knife in the drawer. Not many were powerful. Like, I don't come from a family of blue bloods. We don't own small nations. Not many were of noble birth. But, verse 27, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. What the Bible's saying, tying directly back into Luke chapter 1, is that every area in your, our lives where we feel that we're just not good enough, it's exactly that reason that God can use us. The fact that God, who created everything, would come into the world through a little Jewish girl in Palestine? Why wouldn't he just kind of show up? I mean, this is the way we would do it. It'd be like video game, right? Like God just comes on the scene with millions of angels. Jesus is already there on his white horse, rides onto the plains of Jerusalem, and shows up and says, do or die. Do you feel lucky, punk? Like, that's the way we would do it like you're the king. Well, come and just show your kingness right now. But God chose to shame the wise and the philosophers and the people who would give all sorts of theories about how God is. God says, I'm going to come in humility. And through that, I am going to notice verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things. Are you hungry for God? Are you hungry? Notice, and the rich he sent away went empty. Why would God send away the rich who... 
uh, empty. It's speaking of spiritual pride here. Here's the reason. Because you cannot get a person to eat who thinks that they're already full. Remember my parents telling me all growing up, they were saying things like, don't, don't eat junk food. Y'all ever get that? It'll spoil your appetite. I was like, well, I'd rather have my appetite spoiled than eat green beans. We were on a youth trip a few years ago, and, and one of the kids, uh, <clears throat> he's in eighth grade, he, his dad gave him some money. And no joke, the kid, I don't know, it was close to 50 bucks or something like that on candy. And the bro liked to eat. You know, we'd mess with each other, and one time we realized, don't mess with Lorenzo and his food, man. He, you know, he had, he had food there, and acting like he was taking it. He was like, hey, bro, don't mess with my food. It was like that, that look that says, I will kill you over this donut, you know, that type of look. And so what happened is, is he, man, he just began, I was like last meal. It was seriously, looking back on this now, it's funny, it wasn't then, but it was like it was a last meal at a state prison, man. He had, you know, Twizzlers, all sorts of stuff, just consuming that junk food. What happened, man, he got sick and he blew chunks over all over everybody's luggage in that room. I mean, it was, and he was so sick that he couldn't participate in any of the activities that whole weekend. We had gone from South Carolina to Florida. You know, I think that's like us sometimes. I really do. I've seen that in my life where we say, Lord, I'm, I'm hungry. I need, I need something. I, I need fulfillment. And we go out and we fill ourselves up on all the junk food of the world and the things that don't satisfy. Not only don't they, they don't satisfy, but they end up making us sick. God right here through the words of Mary, this is inspired text, is saying that He will fill the hungry with good things. And notice verse 54, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His, here it is again, His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Finally, we see that He fills all who desire Him He will send away those who don't want Him. And He helps those who are His. This word helped means to take someone's part by assisting, to take part, to come to the aid of. And notice that Israel is called His servant in verse 54. The literal meaning for this word servant, this is really cool, is child. Now why would would our our translators translate this servant when the word paidos is literally child? The implied meaning, this is something that we, with our family situation today, we miss this, is that a child is a servant to their parents. And when you look at the book of Romans chapter 8, and it says that God has adopted us as sons and daughters, He will never cut the cord, He will never disown us. Some of you have come out of family situations to where if there was any love, it was conditional at best. God opens his arms and says, you are my child, you are my servant. And God is not there to harm those who come to him for mercy. Come to him for mercy. I love, I love what this is, Corey Tim Boom. She said, there is no pit so deep, but he is not deeper still. And think about, fast forward as we bring this to conclusion. The life of Mary. Do you remember, remember all of the blessings that God gave her? Fast forward about we, Jesus died, we, we think probably between 30 and 33. And she was there. She was there. And she saw her son beaten, scourged, struck with fists, stick, crown of thorns. And then his tattered body was raised up on a cross. Ladies, how does it work when someone else says something about your kid that's not nice? You don't want to make mama mad, do you? 
Imagine scores and scores of people when your son is in need of mercy and help and he's being tortured to death on a cross and they're so filled with hatred. Probably the spit is coming out of their mouth. They are literally cussing him even when he's on the cross. Cursing him. And she's there. And her heart is breaking. And I think about this. I think about some of the greatest gifts that God has given us. They're later painful, aren't they? You think about when you go into uh, a hospital and you have a woman who's given birth and everybody's around. They're so excited. It's a new child. You know, we're going to name him some great name, you know, Bartholomew or something like that. And, 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 and you've got this new life, this new life. Have you ever seen a, a woman whose son has died and she's having to lay her child in the ground? I think about my mom, my brother Jordan. It's amazing God's gift, amazing gift to our family, to the world, people that he ministered to, and even overseas on a mission trip. But I think that often, when we look at Mary's Magnificat, and we see how awesome God is, but then we see sometimes it's like, God, you gave me this, but then you took it away. How does that work? The question, are we there yet? And God says very simply, not yet, but I will fill you and I will keep you until that day. And that day when we will enter into heaven, to be before the feet of Jesus. And everything that we've ever earned, our crowns, we will simply bow the knee and lay all of our crowns at the feet of Jesus and fall on our faces and say, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Let's bow our heads and and close our eyes. So we're coming to this time of invitation. I want to share one more text with you. Psalm 138, verse 7. It says, Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Believers, some of you have been on the road. The bottom has fallen out. And you're crying out. You're hurting. You're saying, God, I'm empty. I'm hungry. I need to be filled. Just this morning, these facts, these truths that we've learned from the Lord, just ask Him, say, God, I'm coming to You for mercy. Please help me. You have the promise of God Almighty that He will, He will sustain you. You need to come out of your seat and um, just come to the front here and kneel down before the Lord. And just say, God, I need you. My family needs you. Just bring these requests to the throne of grace. He'll hear you. He won't cast you away. And for those of you who know that you need to be saved, trust Christ right now. Place your faith in Him. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I repent. Please save me. We begin to sing. Why don't you come out of your seat and and show and say, you know what, I'm ready to stand up for Jesus. I'm ready to follow Him. You may not know what all that means, but you know that you're ready and that it's time. If you're here and you need to be baptized, whatever decision, whatever commitment, if some of you simply just need to come and pray, you come do it. Father, we ask that you would take this time and you would mend the broken hearts. And you would break down the prideful, hard hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.